Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. <laughs> I love that intro. That's the voice of Ryan Treasure, VP of everything at World Talk Radio, and he's my co-producer on the show. I am Bonnie in the house, and let me tell you what the buzz is today. Have I got a show for you. You're going to be enlightened. You're going to be maybe comforted, maybe excited, maybe a little bit scared, but hopefully not. So here's the buzz, and I'm just going to say bzzz, literally and figuratively, no, we're not talking about beekeeping. I I have a couple of quotes from various publications. This will set us up, and then I'll introduce my wonderful panelists. So here's a quote from Popular Mechanics, believe it or not. Drones in the sky, drones in the sea, drones on land. This is the future of human augmentation. Let that sink in for a second. Now, I have a quote from roboticsbusinessreview.com, and the quote is, There are few pieces of technology that excite tech lovers and the general public quite like drones. Here's one from Mondo, M-O-N-D-O.com. Business execs with their finger on the pulse of tech trends and updates realize the myriad of benefits drones could offer by integrating the tech into their operations. And one final quote from CALU.edu, quote, from a military innovation to an exciting hobby to a technology that's transforming commercial industries. The use of drones has rapidly changed over the past years, and future opportunities in the field are limitless. So what in the world does this have to do with all of you out there in our global listening audience? Let me tell you. Public safety and emergency services professionals in law enforcement, in fire rescue, in emergency management, and the nonprofit NGO sector are already using drones and they're also called UAS, Unmanned Aircraft Systems, to help save lives and protect property. That means they're working to protect your health and your safety today and in the future. I have a panel packed with experts who are going to share their insights, their passions, and just educate us on drones for good. So let me just tell you who they are, and then I will have them introduce themselves. First up, we're welcoming back a previous panelist, Christopher Todd, Certified Emergency Manager. He's the Executive Director at at AIRT in Florida. He'll tell us what that is. Joining us, and thank you to Christopher for inviting the rest of the panel. I'm thrilled to meet all of you. Captain Vern Sally, S-A-L-L-E-E. He is with the Chula Vista Police Department in California. Sitting next to Captain Verencilli around the table is Chief Charles Werner, retired. He's a director of drone responders in Virginia. We'll find out about that. And rounding out the panel is somebody from my old stomping grounds where I grew up in New York, Captain Michael Leo from the Fire Department of New York City. Welcome, gentlemen. And to my listeners, stick around for a look up in the sky. Don't be afraid. It's a drone for good. So welcome. And Christopher Todd, you're up first. Welcome back, Christopher. And please tell everybody who you are, what you do briefly, and what's your passion for for this topic, Drones for Good. Go ahead, Christopher. Thanks, Bonnie. It's great to be back. Thanks again for having me on the program. I am a certified emergency manager and the executive director of the Airborne International Response Team. We're a 501 C3 nonprofit organization based in Miami, and we use drones for good. Uh, We have various experience operating drones for disaster response and humanitarian relief. We also train first responders on how to use these systems. And we're working with different universities, such as Florida International University here in Miami, to explore how the systems can be used to to benefit uh, humankind during disasters and emergencies. Thank you very much, Christopher. Is it a hard sell to tell companies and organizations like universities this, the time has come, the drones are for good, they are safe, they can help you with a myriad of, of things you need to be dealing with, uh, including public safety and the safety of the people in your organization. Is this a hard sell or are people already waking up and saying, yeah, we want to do that? What's your quick take on that, Christopher? Sure. I I think in the university environment, we're seeing um, a willingness to embrace the systems uh, probably more rapidly than in in the general public. One of the issues we see with the public is, and you kind of alluded to it in in the opening, is there's a militaristic um, connotation that some align with drones. So uh, in the public safety sector, we're working hard to dispel that myth 
and really show how drones can be used for, for a wide variety of missions to, to, uh, to help people and help protect property. Thank you for that reality check. I appreciate that. Moving one seat around the virtual roundtable, we're going to introduce Captain Vern Sully. Captain Vern, please introduce yourself. Tell us what you do with the Chula Vista Police Department, and if I even pronounce that correctly, and what's your passion for drones for good? Go ahead. You got it, Bonnie. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, so I'm Pleasure. a 24-year veteran of the Chula Vista Police Department. I'm the captain in charge of the Patrol Operations Division. And uh, I oversee the drone program for Chula Vista PD, started it back in 2015. And uh, what really makes Chula Vista unique is that we uh, conceived of and uh, developed a program we call Drone as a First Responder, where uh, we use drones proactively to respond to um, emergency calls for service. So we have pre-positioned drones um, that launch versus, you know, a reactive case of trying to drive a drone to a scene. So in short, you know, we have, uh, since October 2018, we have flown 1,720 missions in support of, uh, of emergency calls for service, which is uh, by far the, the probably the most... Uh, robust law enforcement um, drone program in the nation, if not the world. Um, And the passion for me is uh, protecting our community. We Mm -hmm. have uh, numerous calls that are just incredible. um, You know, having this real-time intelligence uh, for officers, it makes our community safer, it makes our officers safer, and it gives us better public safety outcomes. And so that's why I'm such a proponent for uh, Drones for Good. Thank you so much. I appreciate that question. And similar to the question I asked Christopher Todd a moment, I asked him if organizations and companies need to be educated and talked into doing this. And you sound like you have, your company has embraced it in a huge way if you're leading the country and the world in drone missions. What about the public? Are they saying, yay, it's a drone. They're going to save me. They're saying, oh my God, I wonder if it's photographing me. Is it listening to what I'm saying in the bedroom? How do people react to that? Sure, absolutely. And that's the first thing. I, I was the one who founded a drone working group at Chula PD back in 2015. And I'd seen a lot of law enforcement agencies stumble because the first thing the public's going to think is surveillance. And so we made sure that we uh, built careful policy. We actually did outreach with the ACLU and civil, uh, civil liberties groups uh, to take some of their input, not, not all of it, but some of their input in terms of best practices. And then we did uh, a completely public... Um, public transparency um, uh, strategy uh, where we put it on our website at chulavistapd.org that has uh, real-time statistics, tells our story, and that's really what we're all about is we engage the public and invested in our community before we ever invested in the first drone, and that's really worked out for our agency. Thank you very much. Another reality check there. Appreciate that. Let's move one seat around the table to Chief Charles Werner, retired director of drone responders in Virginia. Chief Werner, please introduce yourself and similar questions. What's your passion for this? Hey, great. Thank you. Uh, Again, my name is Charles Werner. I'm the retired fire chief from Charlottesville, Virginia. 37 years in the Charlottesville Fire Department and then left there and went to the Virginia Department of Emergency Management to serve as a senior advisor in the technology area as well as acting deputy state coordinator, uh, helped to facilitate the drone program within the Commonwealth of Virginia. So we now have a drone in every one of the regions uh, of Virginia through the Virginia Department of Emergency Management. Also worked with the Albemarle County Sheriff's Office to start their U.S. program for their search and rescue team uh, for the Sheriff's Department. Um, Drone Responders was formed because we had a collective of people and ideas that we saw rather than everybody start from scratch and try to figure this out because it's such a new frontier, that we wanted to create a repository, a place where people could come and find Mm -hmm. the information. So we have a resource center with over 400 documents, SOPs, training programs, policy manuals, checklists, task books, and all those things so that we could actually advance this more quickly. My passion for this is because we have seen that drones, most importantly, make the environment safer for our responders and our Mm. citizens. And the second piece of this burn hit on was that it helps us make uh, better operational effective decisions because of information that we wouldn't otherwise know about because we're seeing things from uh, a vantage point that we wouldn't otherwise know about. 
Thank you very much. Pleasure to meet you, Chief Werner. And let's go one more seat around. Captain Michael Leo, Fire Department of New York City. I think I told you in my notes the other day in, in an email, uh, Captain Leo, that I'm a New Yorker, native New Yorker, now in Durham, North Carolina. And I know some people who were very, very much leaders in the, the cleanup or the rescue after 9-11. So when I saw you with the Fire Department of New York, brought back a lot of memories. Captain Michael Leo, please introduce yourself and what's your involvement with drones? What's your passion, please. Sure, Bonnie, and uh, thank you for having me. Uh, so, I'm a captain in the New York City Fire Department. I've been here for about 18 years. Um, uh, part of, uh, I worked in uh, rescue operations for a long time. Part of that was operating under the uh, Urban Search and Rescue Team from New York City, part of the FEMA system. And uh, there I was like a technical information specialist. I went out on uh, rescues. I uh, captured them uh, a lot of times on video or took pictures. I also marked GPS locations. And the whole while we were doing this, I, I just, uh, the drones were starting to uh, uh, mm-hmm. come come to be. And I just thought, wow, this this technology is really going to revolutionize how we, how we work and how we perform our rescue. And uh, so at the same time, I kind of went back to school to get my degree at John Jay. And I uh, mm-hmm. studied fire and emergency management. Um, and while I was there, they, they let me study uh, unmanned aircraft systems. Uh, I wrote a, a, a paper, um, you know, specific to uh, complex urban environments. And uh, I got to, uh, this, the school uh, actually sent me to uh, Budapest to present my work, which was uh, fascinating. Oh, and, my. And uh, since then, I, I just kept getting more and more involved. So uh, I sit on the NFPA uh, technical committee for... Uh, small urban aircraft systems, and uh, I also sit on the Drone Advisory Committee, and, uh, and of course, I'm an advisor and a big supporter of uh, drone responders. Thank you very much. And, and going back to the questions I asked some of the other panelists, Captain Leo, what's the reaction? New York City, it's a buzz with opinions from everybody everywhere about absolutely everything. I know that firsthand. What do they say? Drones for good. Are you kidding me? Or, wow, bring it on. Any any comments on public reaction? Well, that's very true. And uh, I think we were very proactive uh, with transparency and mm-hmm. putting the program out. Um, we, we, we started the process uh, somewhere, uh, I believe, in 2016. Uh, our first uh, flight was somewhere around 2017. Um, we we went about it the safest way that we uh, could introduce it into our complex environment, and uh, all the feedback has been uh, overwhelmingly good uh, so far. So we really haven't had any issues, and uh, things have been going uh, very good here in New York City. Thank you very much, gentlemen. I have a quick anecdote to share with all of you, and then we're going to go into the quote section. And for our listeners, in case you're first discovering technology revolution, the future of now, I ask my panelists to send me in advance a quote that, on the surface, at first read, has nothing to do with our topic, and they're going to explain how it relates, and they've picked some really interesting quotes. But the the anecdote to all of you is, I bought a a resale home, one-year-old, here in a 55-plus community, yes, I'll admit that on the air, in Durham, North Carolina, about two and a half years ago. And when I moved in, people said to me, oh, that's the drone guy's house. And I said, excuse me? And they said, the man and woman who lived there before, she edited the the community newsletter, and he used to fly a drone over the community. And people were wondering, is he spying on me if I'm uh, sunbathing in my backyard? Maybe not in the altogether, but in the partial. And he got quite a reputation. I don't think anybody here is doing drones. And that was drones for fun, not necessarily for good. Just wanted to share that. So I live in the house that used to be occupied by the drone guy. There you go. I'm so honored. Christopher Todd, you're up first. Christopher sent us a quote from Eddie Rickenbacker, American aviator, 1890 to 1973, American fighter ace in World War I and Medal of Honor recipient, 26 aerial victories, America's most successful fighter ace in the war. He received the most awards for valor by an American during the war. He's also a race car driver, an automotive designer, and many, many more. And he was a pioneer as the long-term Long-time head of Eastern Airlines. Boy, that goes back in time. Here's the quote from Eddie Rickenbacker. Aviation is proof that given the will, we have the capacity to achieve the impossible. Christopher Todd, love the quote. Related to drones for me, please. Sure. Well, you know, we are based in Miami, and, and one of our most famous roads here is the Rickenbacker Causeway, named after Eddie Rickenbacker. And I, I think that quote just kind of shows the promise of aviation since its inception. 
But now as we enter this realm of unmanned aviation, I think it's more true than ever. Um, we're really at the cusp of, of where drones and where unmanned aircraft systems are going to take us. Uh, right now, it, it's heavily focused on intelligence and data gathering, imagery through context. And we're starting to move in and, and seeing the ability to transport cargo and eventually probably people from one point to another. And so it's really exciting. And I think uh, Eddie Rickenbacker's quote just kind of encapsulated that in a, in a real succinct manner. I love it. Thank you very much. Great selection. Let's move around. We're moving faster. This is good. Captain Vern Sally, and he has sent us a quote from the Jay Giles Band, and the title of the song is Angel in Blue. Anybody too young to remember, Jay Giles Band was an American rock band founded in 1968 in Worcester, Massachusetts, under the leadership of guitarist John Jay Giles. I won't read you all the original members, but I'll tell you they played R&B-influenced blues rock in the 70s, then moved toward mainstream radio friends sounds in the 1980s and you may know some of their other songs they sang freeze frame which was number four in 1981 and centerfold number one in 1982 here's the quote part of the lyrics and she never had dreams so they never came true captain sally please tell us how you picked this quote i love it well you know i i uh, first off I, I really think that uh, you know we're at that point in the uas field or drone field where anything's possible that we can imagine, right? And so we really need to be creative in terms of how we imagine drones uh, working for the public good. And uh, so we're in that dream phase right now, and I really think a lot of these things that we're talking about today are going to come true. Uh, The second thing I really love about the the quote um, Mm -hmm. is is, uh, the fusion of art and tech, right, is we need to connect with people. Uh, you know, people that are out there, and you hit on it, is the public accepting drones. Mm-hmm. They can be skeptical. And we can talk, we could talk about drone statistics all day and, you know, how fast they fly or how long the batteries last. But to the general public or the layperson, they just want to know, what is this, how's this going to make my life better, right? And so I think that fusion of art and tech is important. And then finally, songs are about storytelling, and that's what your show is today. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're also telling the story about how drones are going to help people. So I think, um, you know, I like the approach of not just a pure tech approach as as somebody thinking about the future, but a a fusion of tech and art and humanity of of how is this going to improve our world in the future. And, And that's what I'm most proud about. I could listen to you talk about this for an hour. <laughs> the fusion of art and tech. I love that. We might have to do a future show here on Tech Rev. We call this technology revolution the future of now Tech Rev. We might have to do a show on the future of art and tech. I will talk to you later. Thank you so much. And by the way, the line that came after, and she never had dreams, so that never came true, is, oh, my fadeaway angel, angel in blue. Yes, I remember it well. Thank you very much. Let's move all cra- around the table to Chief Charles Werner. And Charles Werner has sent me a quote from William Arthur Ward. This is an interesting one. William Arthur Ward, 1921 to 1994, an often quoted writer of inspirational maxims. He wrote more than 100 articles, poems, and meditations that were published in the Reader's Digest, the Phi Beta Kappen, the Science of Mind, and Christian publications. And he had a column called Pertinent Proverbs. Oh, I love that. Here's the quote. Listen up, everybody. This is a lifestyle quote. The pessimist complains about the wind. The optimist expects it to change. The realists adjust the sales. Chief Werner, tell me how you picked this one. I love it. Well, you, you kind of hit on this when we first started. Uh, there's a lot of people that think good things can come from drones, and they think it's going to happen on its own. There are <laughs> others that think drones are bad. There are privacy issues. We don't want them to go forward, so it's a bad place. Uh, the realist part of it is is what I believe drum responders plays a role in, is creating the opportunity to learn about how to make those good things happen and how to connect people with the ways to make those things happen with the other people. So drum responders is really a networking and collaboration to say, let's figure out how do we adjust our sales so that the drones can fly effectively, they can make the environment safer and uh, not wait for it uh, and and be that, that point of the spear that shows people the way to get it done, and that was really the difference is is how do we make it real for public safety and to make our community safer. 
Thank you. So well put. Yes, we're, we're talking about realism today. We're talking about the impact of and the benefits of drones. And I appreciate that. Great quote. Thank you, Chief Werner. I'm remembering to use everybody's title appropriately here. And Captain Michael Leo has sent us a quote from Thomas Jefferson. This is a very serious one, but a very inspirational one. Anybody doesn't know Thomas Jefferson. My goodness. Little American history here. 1743 to 1826. American statesman, diplomat, lawyer, architect, philosopher, and founding father, who was the third president of the U.S. after serving as the second U.S. vice president back in the late 1790s. Uh, he was a proponent of democracy, republicanism, and individual rights, and he produced documents and decisions at the state and national level. Here's the quote. Honesty is the first chapter in the Book of Wisdom. Oh, my, Captain Leo, that is very serious. Related to drones for me, please. <laughs> Love the quote. <laughs> sure. So this, this quote has been with me since I uh, pretty much when I got promoted to lieutenant. Um, it, uh, it's something that I saw, and uh, it's time agnostic, um, you know, and at the time it was, uh, you know, to be honest, to be who you are, stay true mm-hmm. to your beliefs, be honest to others, it's the foundation of good, effective leadership, and in my n- new role as a supervisor, I, I kind of, uh, you know, took this as the backbone of how I hope to lead, um, but as we look to technology, um, you know, I, I apply it to that as well, that we really need to be honest about what we're doing. Um, you know, the personnel in the tech field, uh, they tend to uh, always want the cutting-edge uh, technology that's out there immediately. And, uh, you know, I have to remind everybody that you have to be honest about reliability and, and safety of our equipment. And, uh, um, you know, I tend to look for the, the equipment that has been proven rather than the cutting-edge uh, technology, technology that's out there now. Interesting. Transparency, authenticity, integrity, honesty, trust. I think I can use all those words based on what you just shared, Captain Leo. What a thought. What an evolutionary and revolutionary thought. I have great respect for what you just said and very important in this field. Just just a quick question. You said you look for proven tech versus cutting edge. How long do you wait to get past the proof of concept or the, hey, we're a startup, we have this great new drone, you got to try it, it'll do everything for you tomorrow in 22 seconds, it'll help your cornflakes not get soggy in the milk. Uh, How do you know when something has been proven? How much proof do you require? I'm not meaning to put you on the spot, but I'm interested. No, that's that's not a problem. I mean, and and it's very tough in this field because it's it's a very new field and it's growing. I mean, you know, uh, four years ago feels like forever to a lot of us. Um, in this field mm-hmm. that uh, have been following it. So, you know, we put it through uh, the New York City test, as we call it. We, uh, we hmm. identify a lot of spots in New York City where it's really, really tough for some of the equipment to operate. And uh, um, usually we'll go through at least a year of looking at something before we um, consider putting it into place. And, uh, you know, that, that question has a lot of different uh, um, caveats to it where um, – you know, there's a lot of other things we look to other than just uh, the operation of the vehicle. Uh, obviously, there's a um, there's many things that uh, uh, come with uh, unmanned aircraft systems, such as the uh, screening capabilities and mm-hmm. things of that nature. So we, we try our best to vet it out over about a year. Thank you very much. I really appreciate your answer. Now it's the time in the show when each of my panelists has sent me four predictions related to the topic. And gentlemen, I'm going to tell you, we've covered a couple of from one or two of you already in the introductions and the quote explanations. So I may skip a few, but we're going to go around the table now. I'll pick one from each of you, one that I think we haven't covered yet, and ask you to spend about two minutes telling why you think this is a prediction, when you think it'll happen, anything you want to add. But first, I have to do a shout out to Christopher Todd. Sir, you have brought me such an incredible panel. I am so impressed. I feel so honored to have so many really, really, really smart, invested, and authentic people on the panel. So I'm saying thank you again, Christopher Todd. Very appreciative. Just very impressive. So, Christopher Todd, you can bask in the glow of my compliment there. Christopher has told me the following quote. Here's prediction number one from Christopher Todd. He speaks. He says, drones and related technologies will revolutionize emergency management. So, Christopher Tell me, is this true, true right now? When will this will revolutionize happen? Go ahead and tell us a little more, please. Sure. Thanks, Bonnie. And, and thank you again for, uh, for allowing us to be on the show. And, and I am, you know, blessed to be with such an all-star cast. I mean, I think uh, <laughs> these gentlemen represent the finest of, of what's going on in drones and public safety right now. But, yeah, drones are going to absolutely revolutionize emergency management. And I think we're starting to see that 
um, predominantly through the different disasters and disaster response type cases we've seen here in the United States as well as in internationally. Um, you know, several years ago when an earthquake struck Nepal, there were agencies bringing drones in to kind of survey damage and map damage. And uh, in, in 2017, that, that ferocious hurricane season we had with Harvey, Irma, and Maria, I think we really saw the systems come into their own. Uh, we saw power companies use unmanned aircraft systems for damage assessment to help get power restored and see where lines were down and poles were down. And, and, and since then, they've evolved those types of operations. We've seen drones for damage assessment. Uh, I myself have, have worked with different USAR teams here in Florida after Hurricane Michael to, um, you know, start testing new ways to conduct damage assessments. So, you know, typically these USAR teams will go out and, and they'll conduct a, a preliminary damage assessment or otherwise known as a windshield survey where mm -hmm. they'll drive through communities and just check on houses to see if anyone needs help. And then after Hurricane Michael, we saw so many trees um, blocking roads, blocking driveways. Yes. Uh, it made it impassable and, and infeasible for these search teams to go check on the homes. We would launch the drones up, and within a matter of minutes, we could cover entire neighborhoods and see if anybody needed help or or not. So I think we're you know we're just kind of in the first inning of what's going to be a long ball game. I, I always use the equation that uh, the unmanned systems industry here is a lot like the internet was in the 1990s when we were in a mm -hmm. dial-up world, yep. and that's kind of the environment we have right now with radio-controlled line-of-sight operations, but as we evolve into 5G and, and running up satellites and more comprehensive radio networks and go beyond visual line-of-sight, I think you're really going to see these systems transform how we help people, how we bring in relief supplies, and, and how we conduct damage uh, in the realm of disasters and emergency management. Thank you, Christopher. Before I move on to Captain Sally's first prediction, I'm actually going to look at number three, Vern. I'm giving you a heads up. Christopher, what does a drone look like? How, would I see it from my roof, from my living room window? Does it make a buzz noise like I did in the opening of the show? Bzzz. Is, is there a noise to them? Are they big? Are we talking about drones the size of a helicopter? Are we talking about drones the size of a, of a carton of eggs? I don't know. Just quickly, can you tell us what we're talking about? Sure. Well, well, great question. And, and there's not a one-size-fits-all answer to that. I okay. think as one thing we, we've seen as the technology evolves is we're seeing these systems come in, in all different shapes and sizes. And the main differences we'll, we'll see today is that there's, there's rotor, uh, rotor drones such as uh, quadcopters, or some have six engines, some have eight engines, and those will have the propellers that will hover much like a helicopter uh, there's fixed-wing drones that may have a delta wing or a, a longer wing, such as an aircraft, that really fly long linear paths that are good for assessing wide areas. And now we're seeing new hybrid drones develop, uh, VTOL, vertical takeoff and landing, which have mm. characteristics of both the, the rotary and, and the fixed-wing drones. And as far as sizes, I mean, some of these will fit in the palm of your hand. Um, some are as large as, as you can imagine. Uh, for FAA regulations here in the U.S., the small unmanned aircraft systems are 55 pounds or less. So that's really the, the size class that uh, most of us are operating with right now. And uh, generally, yes, you can hear them if they're hovering uh, or if they're coming by. But um, as they experiment with different types of propellers and different types of motors, they're becoming more and more silent. So um, technology is evolving, and depending on the conditions you're in, you may or may not notice that drone flying over you or, or flying near you. Thank you. I'm thinking my trainer has me lifting a 40-pound, uh, it looks like a sports bag with 40 pounds of sand in it, straight up deadlift, and he's got me carrying 30 pounds in each hand, walking up and down the length of my house during part of my workouts. So I could lift, actually, I could probably lift a 55-pound drone if I really had to. That's another topic. Moving around the table, Captain Vern Sally has sent me the following prediction. This is number three. The first company to build and bring to market a true turnkey ecosystem of drone services on on a subscription basis will have a massive advantage similar to the early days of Taser Axon and their Evidence.com cloud-based solution back in, in 2009. Wow. Please tell us more. What is this prediction about? Sure. So um, I actually was the I was a lieutenant back in 2009 when uh, Axon uh, was introducing uh, their Evidence.com cloud-based services and they were competing with, with what were then uh, in-car cameras uh, but they brought forward this cloud-based storage. It solved all my problems. 
as a as a manager who didn't have robust IT infrastructure. Um, and the idea is, I want to be a cop. I don't want to be a, an IT person, right? So I want to outsource my problems. And the same thing goes, I think, for a turnkey drone ecosystem. Police departments uh, uh, want to, you know, I want my cops to be cops. I don't want my cops to necessarily be drone pilots per se. I want them to be first responders and um, uh, getting into the active shooter call immediately or, or things like that. And so I want to, um, as, a, as a police administrator, I want to have a system that um, gives me the advantages of drones and aerial support and that real-time intelligence um, but I also don't want to have to invest massive amounts of money in internal training systems and equipment and um, maintaining and tracking uh, all of the things that go along with, you know, flight. Uh, and the FAA regulatory system is really complex to navigate as well. So, um, you know, the work that we're doing here is still a very, very heavy lift uh, for mm-hmm. a pretty small agency. And um, if if a company could come forward and solve that, uh, help uh, smaller agencies that maybe don't have our resources, help them with the public outreach, help them with the training, help uh, help them with the FAA regulatory structure and maintaining their programs, agencies will pay a premium for that um, because they just want to enhance public safety. We outsource all kinds of things. You know, uh, we have tech partners through, you know, Motorola for our computer aided uh, dispatch system. We have evidence.com through Axon. Uh, and I envision a future where public safety agencies um, will outsource their drone um, the, uh, services versus trying to do everything uh, internally by themselves because it is a heavy lift uh, within agencies to keep that going. Thank you very much. Great information. Very exciting subscription basis. Isn't that where everything is supposed to be going one of these days, any day, maybe tomorrow? This is the future of now. You know what that means. It didn't happen yet, but after I, I paused, that was that future, and now it's already in the past. It's happening fast. I'm moving around the table to Chief Charles Werner, and here is your prediction number three. I like this a lot because I think it goes with what I was just talking with Christopher Todd about, the size of drones. You say larger drones will transform air medical transport of emergency patients. This sounds extremely exciting and much needed. Chief Werner, please tell me more. So the size of the unmanned aircraft system as it gets larger and we're able to fly beyond visual on its sites, the air ambulance is, is known for being able to transport people very quickly from a location either far out in a rural community to a hospital or maybe even in an urban environment where getting through traffic becomes problematic. Uh, what the urban air mobility movement goes for these aircraft would be that now agencies that could not afford uh, million-dollar or multi-million-dollar helicopters uh, will be able to take advantage of the, this type of apparatus uh, or I an mean, aircraft system to fly people from one place to another. But I'll go a step further. It's not just that. Uh, we're also, it also means that we may have opportunities to use these larger types of I an mean, aircraft systems to actually fight fires uh, at, the, at the higher levels of high-rise buildings. Um, and, and a lot of similar things like that. So I, I think that's where you're going to see the change, that this urban air mobility creates more opportunities to save lives because of our ability to move people, packages, uh, or other items from one place to another quickly and, and efficiently. Interesting. Will there be a public education phase before this where people will be told a drone is going to safely retrieve you, lift you, move you, transport you, safely set you down where you can receive the proper medical services? Is that something that has to happen as well? Yes, and it's similar to what what Vern was talking about earlier is that uh, any type of program like this that you're going forward, you've got to really lay this out and, and help manage the expectations of your public. One, to know what the opportunity is, two, uh, what's the benefit, and three, how is it going to be done safely, and, and make sure that you're informing people that now start seeing these things flying across the skyscrape, uh, the skyscape that they, they know what it is, and they know it's for good. Um, and, and so, yes, any of these will have an educational component that we'll have to do prior to these programs really becoming mainstream. 
Thank you very much. And there's that authenticity and honesty and integrity and trust and transparency, if I didn't say that three times already. Thank you, Captain Michael Leo. I'm around the table to you. I'm looking at prediction number four, which I was very curious about before the show. And thank you for expanding it. Let me read a little bit and then ask you to, uh, to talk about it. You say, finding commonality among different first responder agencies to address national standards for administration, training, Operations and communications will have a vital role in the future of public safety, UAS, unmanned aircraft system operations. Is it happening yet, Captain Leo? When is it going to happen? Is the future of this here, or is it going to be a while? Talk to me. It is happening, and it's happening right now, and it will continue to happen. So the sharing and these embracing of ideas between each other has been you know, in the beginning, it started kind of word of mouth, and we would get somebody else's phone number from another organization and share ideas. Um, and uh, and this is very important because of, you know, when we get into the uh, national disasters, um, we're going to have a lot of uh, manned and unmanned aircraft operating in close proximity, and uh, we're going to cross borders, and we want to have the same uh, operating picture. Um, so uh, we've had lots of help on this uh you know, uh, Adam Jakoff at the NIST uh, Robotic Lab has been uh, very instrumental, um, you know, providing uh, basically um, payload maneuvering and functionality standards uh, that we could use across the board for training, pilot proficiency, um, which, which has helped a lot. DHS has been helping with a lot of research and, uh, and of course, drone responders. The drone mm-hmm. responders has opened up uh, a very clear path for us to all share and compare what we're doing. And, and we can also voice our successes and our shortcomings so, mm-hmm. so we can all learn from this. And, uh, you know, it seems that there's geographical areas that have embraced uh, this technology a little sooner than others. Um, I know for the New York City Fire Department, in the beginning we, we looked a lot to the Austin Fire Department in Texas uh, mm-hmm. because they had been doing this for a lot longer than we have. And, and since then we have... Uh, took a lot of their ideas, um, added some of our own research, and shared it with other fire departments uh, across the country. And uh, I, I think that uh, in the next, uh, and, and this is the short-term future, we're mm-hmm. going to see a lot of collaboration, and we're going to see these standards, uh, uh, you know, come to be, you know, like I said, within five years. It sounds exciting, and it sounds it sounds like something that I'm glad it's already happening, and something that needs to be focused on. I have a quick question. I'll start with uh, before I go back, go around. We're going to do another round of predictions. We have time for some quick second predictions from everyone. But let me just ask uh, Christopher Todd, the disaster, the tornado disaster in Nashville, Tennessee, yesterday. Could drones have been involved, or were they in some of the rescue, or at least the identification of where there were humans who needed dire help immediately? Were drones involved, or is the weather an issue? Christopher? Well, uh, weather is an issue as far as if there's uh, substantial rain or, or wind, but typically with those tornadoes, they're moving so fast as part of a front that's moving through the area, uh, it clears out pretty quick. Uh, much like a hurricane will, and then behind it, the mm-hmm. weather is typically not that bad. So, yeah, there, there were drones, and, and what you see with the tornadoes is a lot of the storm chasers now are carrying drones with them. They've, they've been trained on the systems, so not only are they chasing the storms, but they're also some of the first people on scene to get the drone up and start assessing damage and farming that, uh, that, that news feed out to the Weather Channel or CNN or whoever might be willing to, 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 to pay for it. So, that's where we see some of the initial um, footage of, of these storms coming through. And then, yes, first responders are coming in, and they're, they're using drones and unmanned systems to get a perspective of the damage swath, how wide it might be, and then conduct search and rescue operations. And if it's by day, they can use visual sensors. If it's a, a night operation, they may then switch to thermal so they can look for mm-hmm. heat signatures in the rubble piles and and try to locate survivors or people who, who need help. And also important that things like gas lines and, and hazmat incidents by the systems can be used to approach things like overturned um, fuel containers to assess whether there's a leak and, and whether they, they may need to send a, a hazmat specialist downrange to engage that incident. So I, I think we're seeing a lot of different use cases. And tornadoes t- certainly are, are one of the, the premier ones where we're, we're every storm system we we tend to learn something new on how these systems can 
can provide uh, some, some benefit. Thank you very much. I was hoping that was going to be your answer. I'm looking at your prediction number four. Let's do this briefly because it plays off of what we just spoke about. Christopher Todd says drones will enable underserved populations and disadvantaged nations to leapfrog their progress through technological innovation. Take about a minute for this, Christopher, please. And I'm going to move around the table quickly and try and squeeze in some more predictions. What does this mean? Sure. I mean, I think one of the best use cases right now we're seeing is happening in Africa where they've got uh, companies such as Zipline, which is a U.S. startup, uh, using unmanned aircraft systems to transport urgent medical supplies such as as blood uh, over mountain ranges and valleys from one remote village to another. And it's, uh, you know, you you think about if there's a severe accident, blood banks in Africa are, are far and few between. So the ability to transport the urgent medical supplies from point A to point B in a swift, expeditious manner is something that they've never really had access to. And uh, the ability to use unmanned aircraft systems for that is kind of showing how drones for good can have a really dramatic impact very quickly on a population that was underserved by technology in the past. And we're starting to see this now in the Caribbean. There's testing going on in the Dominican Republic, in South America, and all over the world. These types of stories are starting to bubble up. And it's really exciting, uh, both from the first responder perspective and the commercial perspective, to see how these systems are being put to use. Thank you very much, Captain Vern. Sally, I'm looking at your prediction number four. This is interesting. You say there are over 18,000 state, local, territorial, and tribal police agencies in the U.S. Only 200 have helicopter units. Within the next five years, almost all of the remaining 17,800 will attempt to deploy drones. Give me a little bit of this rest of this prediction, please, Captain. Sure, absolutely. So the, uh, you know, Chula Vista PD is one of those uh, among the 18,000 plus uh, uh, or 17,000 plus agencies that doesn't have a manned helicopter unit, and uh, we've turned to drones in a really heavy way because it solves a problem. And just this morning, we had an emergency call in an area that's not covered by our drone um, quite yet because we're not uh, operating that part of the city of a man with a gun who pointed a gun at a, a patron at a gas station, and we had schools on mm. lockdown. Uh, officers setting perimeters, searching for this person, and we because we didn't have drone availability there, we had to call for mutual aid from the sheriff's department. And their um, helicopter is uh, was on the ground, and they had to go through flight checks for another eight minutes before they could even launch to perhaps oh. get to us in 15 more minutes. Right, so uh, this is a time when seconds count, and um, our drone uh, as a first responder program, our average from receiving a call to getting on scene with a drone uh, is, is less than three minutes to get live aerial intelligence. And so this is an example that, uh, you know, my, my next goal this year is to get a drone out in that area uh, because we see um, the opportunity to make a real-life impact on our officers and on the community. Uh, today is a perfect example of why Chula Vista mm-hmm. needs to expand, and this could be replicated throughout the United States with uh, all all public safety agencies, to include fire. And uh, I haven't discussed it with uh, Chief Warner yet, but Chula Vista Fire is now integrating with Chula Vista PD. We've invited them into our program as a unified public safety platform, and they're already seeing results with uh, their fire uh, captains and battalion chiefs watching live video feeds of emergencies and changing their tactics as well. Uh, and their fire chief has bought into uh, the program. So it really will be transfer- transformational for the remaining 17,000-plus police agencies. And I, uh, I believe there's about 26,000 fire agencies. Uh, and so you can imagine the market's going to be absolutely mm-hmm. massive uh, in, the ne- in the coming years. These are exciting times for all of you and your colleagues. Very exciting. Speaking of Chief Charles Werner, I'm looking at prediction number four, and I want to talk about the last part of it. You say drones will be ever-present in the air for everything from emergency response, which we've covered, to package delivery. So my question on this prediction, Chief Werner, is will there be drone traffic How will a safety drone trying to get a patient to emergency services not bunk into or bump into a drone dropping an Amazon delivery on somebody's porch or a drone during surveillance? Will will we see, will we look up and there'll be or nothing heard but drones covering the sky like it's raining drones? Chief Werner, am I imagining this or could it happen? 
No, I think the easy uh, uh, referral of, of, of looking back in time for a lot of people who won't know what this is, but if you look back at the Jetsons, uh, <laughs> I think that's going to be kind of an analogy of what the future looks like. But it's going to be based on a couple <laughs> things. Uh, first, it's going to be the unmanned traffic management system that's in place that's being worked on now. And the second part is um, the sensitive void technology that comes with it so that we'll actually have the ability to know where each other are to, to create avoidance and maintain that safe airspace. But when I talk about constantly here, it could also be that we've got uh, the wildfires very susceptible in, uh, on the West Coast is that we may have aircraft that are flying autonomously, that, that are fixed wing, that are just flying and looking for that first spark of a fire so that we can actually get there more quickly um, because the smaller the fires, when we get there, the quicker we can extinguish it to keep it from becoming a very big fire. And, and just to go back to one of the things you said earlier about the tornado, just to give you a quick mm-hmm. reference, last year in Alabama, the news headline was that the, the path of the tornado was so wide that it required both ground search and drones to be flown simultaneously to try to find all the people that were in need. So it's, it's here and it's coming, and it's an exciting time for all of us, as you said. Thank you very much. Captain Michael Leo, I'm looking at prediction number two, very appropriate, you say, representing a large, densely populated city, New York. You would like to see much more research for the operation of UAS, unmanned aircraft systems, in complex urban environments. And for the benefit of the listeners, he's talking about air traffic congestion, which I just mentioned, densely populated areas, magnetic interference, radio frequency interference, unpredictable winds. We just talked about that with reference to the tornadoes. Global navigation satellite system denied areas and tall structures. This sounds like a lot of headaches. So how is it going? Uh, Is there research into this? Do you want to lead that task force? Captain Leo, talk to me. So we are uh, we are working on a lot of research here. Um, so uh, you know, sometimes uh, firefighters don't uh, double well into uh, scientific methodology. So we also need to reach out to academia and colleges that uh, you know are specifically uh, looking into this. Uh, as I said, uh, Department of Homeland Security has been helpful. Um, also, our federal partners with the Armed Services have been helpful um, in tackling all these issues. And these issues uh, also, they're present in other geographical locations, but uh, here they all converge to make a a very difficult um, operation. So, uh, you know, in the future, I think uh, we're going to see that it's going to be safe to operate here. Um, But I I think it's going to take a while till we get to that reliability of control links and... uh, when, when I'm studying this in John Jay, um, basically it was tough to do research on something there was no research on uh, mm-hmm. in the beginning. So sure. the only thing you could do is take each of these specifically and isolate them and try to figure out um, uh, some type of uh, solution for each specific uh, problem. And, and that's what we did. And, and overall, when we fly in New York City, we, we absolutely fly as safe as we could possibly fly. Mm-hmm. And one of the metrics that I use for success is when we don't fly, um, because that's when we're making the correct decision that Ooh. the risk assessment is just a little too risky. So we stay, we stay on the ground. Um, but we are using all the um, safety equipment we can use. We take out radio frequency spectrum analyzers, which basically we can look at where all the interference is. Um, we check magnetic interference before we fly. And uh, uh, it's, it's a difficult area to, uh, to operate. But um, we look at a lot of other places that have similar problems, mm-hmm. and they're actually helping to do this research with us. And I, I think overall, eventually, we're going to uh, be able to tackle this. Thank you. And I have a quick question for you before we close, Captain Leo. How do you identify which drones are yours and which drones belong to somebody else over New York City? Maybe a sightseer's drone or a hobbyist drone or a, or another fire department's drone. How do you know? You're looking up in the sky. You're looking on whatever this air traffic controlling devices or radar is, and you're saying, that's not one of ours. What are they doing here? Wait a minute. We have an emergency. Is, is that something that's future, or is it here yet? Identification. So. We, we, um, we, we thought that that was very important, and uh, we branded all our drones so they kind of look like our fire trucks, <laughs> and <laughs> you have to be pretty close to see it, uh, so it's interesting. They even, you know, they even have the keep back 200 feet stickers on them, um, but, uh, so, so it's pretty funny, but they do, they do uh, 
you could tell that it's one of our drones if you if it, if you were close enough to it. And um, th- there isn't really a lot of uh, um, drone traffic in New York City at the moment, so uh, it's it's pretty easy. And then you know there's a lot of uh, drone detection uh, going on in New York City as well. And before we fly, we uh, we basically whitelist so that so other agencies know who we are when we're up in the air. Fascinating. I'm glad I asked. Very interesting. By the way, I designed the logo for the Vigilant Fire Company in Great Neck, Long Island. I designed their 100th anniversary logo for the side of their trucks. I have a lot of friends, and they were regulars on my TV show when I was living on Long Island. Great group of people. Thank you so much. Christopher Todd, I am so grateful to you for bringing such an extraordinary panel. I'm impressed with every one of you. You're articulate. You're passionate. You're insightful. I've learned so much. I hope you don't mind all my questions, but I think that's what our listeners would like to know. So I'm going to say thank you to Christopher Todd at AIRT. Thank you to Captain Vern Sally at the Chula Vista Police Department. Thank you to Chief Charles Werner. You're not, you may be retired, but you're certainly still present and, and accounted for here at Drone Responders in Virginia. And Captain Michael Leo, my old, I was in Long Island, but Captain Leo, I was born in Queens. So there, I'm a New York City born and bred. What can I tell you? Shout out to my co-producer, Ryan Treasure, the guy with the great voice who introduced the show. We have just about, and also my engineer with nerves of steel, Aaron Keller, because he never does what I'm going to throw at him. Christopher Todd, I'm going to let you have one final 60 second prediction since you put this panel together. 2025, what kinds of drones will we see doing good? Will anything be different from right now, or will they just be smaller and, I don't know, more efficient? Just quickly, 60 seconds, what's your final, final prediction, Christopher Todd? Sure, I think 2025 is going to be extremely exciting. I mean, we'll have 5G in place, um, stronger communication networks. There'll be technological improvements. We're going to see drones of all different shapes and sizes operating uh, we'll probably have the unmanned traffic management system that Chief Horner spoke about uh, in place with hopefully remote ID. And I think we'll start to see um, technology that, that involves drone swarms. For example, mm. if you think of agriculture, you could have one drone um, covering a field, or you could potentially have multiple drones covering a field in, in a more expeditious factor. And I think we'll see that in disaster response, too, if there's a mass casualty incident um, you'll see multiple drones working in a networked environment to respond rather than just uh, one or two drones coming in. So it's going to be really exciting. There'll be drones um, gathering intelligence, gathering data, and probably hauling uh, packages and supplies and possibly even people by 2025. We'll have to and see may- what happens, but it's going to be And maybe even advertising. They'll replace the skywriting. They'll be- replace those banners. Bob, will you marry me? Mary, oh, no, it's Mary, will you marry me? Bob, we all remember those. Thank you, gentlemen. I'm indebted to all of you for sharing your expertise and your insights. Very, very happy you all joined me today. And I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Remember, when people say the future is already here... They're talking about yesterday's future. You know why? Today's future is about to happen. So let's make it the best. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. I have one word to say. Onward. Out. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. Oh